Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. It's another special episode of our series we've been doing on how we work on projects. And today we're going to take maybe a slight detour and talk about a special kind of project, which is the legacy project. So what I mean by mm -hmm. this is, is a project we are not starting fresh. It is coming to us with history. Maybe you could say with baggage um, <laughs> and maybe with or without any sort of documentation. And so I know you and I have a way that we kind of onboard a project like that and um, approach it. And I thought it might be useful to kind of talk that through today. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um, it starts out a little boring, mm -hmm. you know, the whole process, but then it really starts to kick off and then you get comfortable with it. So I think, you know, the first thing we always talk about is like planning, right? And, and as programmers, we're like, I just want to get in their code, look at the code <laughs> or whatever. Um, that's great. And that's going to be part of it. But the very first thing we kind of do is, is develop a plan of like, um, uh, what do we all need to do even? And we're going to talk about those steps. So yep. for this particular project, what are the steps that we need to do? Um, and then to try to understand some of how the project even works. Right. Um, and and um, so that can be a mix of like talking to the client and asking them to kind of do a demo for us or, you know, writing our own documentation as we go through or a mix of that. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I guess uh, uh, the first thing is, uh, is a demo. And so when we, Sometimes we're not the best at this, but we need to get better. And this is what I want to do, um, which is to make sure that we can see a whole demo of all the features and ask questions along the way. Yeah. In, in reality, a lot of times happens as we just get a demo or a recording of a demo mm -hmm. of a couple of the happy paths. Um, but that's that's better than nothing, right? And, and yeah. so the first thing is to kind of understand how the project works. Yeah. And, and just like related to that, like one reason that can be beneficial, of course, it, it gives you context and you kind of understand maybe what are the more important parts of the application. Those tend to be what they demo, mm -hmm. but it can also help like they're clicking through and there's like four menus like, oh, yeah, we don't use those. We, we don't even know what those are for. So like if we if you didn't <laughs> do that demo and get that context, you might struggle. Like, why doesn't this this entire menu work over here? Oh, yeah, we haven't used that in five years. And so nobody ever took it out and it's broken, but like we could have wasted a lot of time trying to figure that out without getting that context. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I probably said it in passing, but I'll say it again because it's really important. The biggest change, the biggest difference that I've made is to record these demos when mm -hmm. they're happening, because then later on I can go watch it again. You know, yeah. you're, you're, at least for me, I was going to say you're going to forget, but at least I know <laughs> I'll forget everything I just saw almost immediately after I've seen sure. it. Sure. No, I, I agree with that. Yep. So I, I have a, you know, I keep the collection of the videos of, of some demos, and then you can watch it again. Uh, um, or, you know, um, in some of the larger ones, I'll, I'll admit to this, I've even kept like a note with it and mm -hmm. kind of set at what, what minute time a certain feature was covered when I watched yeah. it this next time. So that way I can go back there and then, you know, um, go forward and backwards. And I'll tell you why that, that really matters on a, on a project I just did recently is they're test setup was very poor and so it, it was a combination of there's multiple many many steps to set up a test account okay and sometimes that didn't work in their test environment um and i had to re i was rebuilding some of these interfaces so 
um, there wasn't even a good chance I could go in there and relook at the interface again. So luckily yeah. I had this video and, and a good portion of the stuff I did was based off kind of going frame by frame in some of the videos, uh, seeing what's in the drop down boxes for options mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, you know, I wasn't perfect. I later on compared it to some of the code too and, and you know, did it, but it saved me a lot of time having those videos to be able to go through. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, once you get that demo, you know, I, I tend to also kind of look at docs and mm-hmm. m- maybe we've just had a really unfortunate series of projects, but it's pretty <laughs> rare that in my experience to get a project handed off that has robust documentation. Like there might be a readme file and it might be all. S- yeah. So, I was going to say <laughs> or or all. any docs. Yeah. <laughs> the readme is like the default Laravel install readme. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's pretty rare to get docs that tell you everything you wish you wanted to know. Like that's, mm-hmm. and I'll even admit like for our projects, like it's really hard to capture every single piece of knowledge in documentation, but that'd be mm-hmm. the next place we go. I think it makes sense. You mentioned like the readme. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I kind of look at documentation for projects too, I'm not going to go too far into this, but is the readme with the code should be the technical steps to get that code running and or deployed. Yes. Yeah. And then a, a wiki in like GitHub or Confluence or something like that would be the area that you put your business stuff. Sure. So yeah, but- like your your domain requirements, understanding how the business works and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you, you start to put that in the code base, it, it kind of it, it's programmers, you know, you have to kind of discipline yourself to write that. So it, it kind of needs to be a separate process. Um, and also, if you're putting too much technical stuff inside of like the, you know, the Confluence or wiki, it tells me that you need to, that you don't have stuff automated properly. Yeah. Yeah. The, you mentioned like how to get the code running and that's kind of where my mind goes next is, is mm-hmm. actually getting my local dev environment operational. Like, can I, can I run this code locally? Because that's, to me, that's a critical, like you can't do development if you can't run it local. Some, some people we've worked with maybe had other methodologies, like a, a shared online environment or something like that. But um, you know, for us, that's sort of a, a deal breaker. Like we have to mm-hmm. run it locally. And while we try to get that running, kind of going back to the docs, that's where we put those steps because then mm-hmm. the next person should be able to check out the repo, look at the readme and get it running. I, I'd like to say in less than an hour, if if not less than 30 minutes, right? That's the goal. Yeah, I, I and, think. And, and 95% of the time it'll, it'll work. Yeah, <laughs> it'll, sure. Like, like versus zero and we got it or whatever, you know, you can't promise mm-hmm. it's going to be perfect, yeah. but then it'll be down to like in half an hour, you got it running and there's maybe zero problem or one problem. Mm-hmm. Not like, how do I get this to work again? Right. Exactly. So then the next challenge we kind of have is, is, you know, unit test, integration, feature tests, all those different things. Mm-hmm. And depending on the project, you know, how it's written, maybe there is a test kit, you know, test suite available. Um, a, a lot of the projects that I've taken over and we've taken over, uh, that were very legacy, didn't have anything involved whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and so then we go and use specific tools to go and, and write more end-to-end tests. So you have it running locally, and maybe you don't necessarily do anything but reseed the database to a specific thing when the tests mm-hmm. start. Because, you know, ideally in unit tests, it should be like, you know, always predictable and always, you know, yeah. have fixtures or whatnot. But, but when you get like a legacy project, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll have like some more of these end-to-end tests on the outside of the application, um, whatever language it happens to be, um, and, and you know, exercising those in the browser on our local version to kind of make sure we understand how things go. And, yeah. and the reason that's important is, is two things. One, 
Uh, it also, again, continues to help us understand how the application works. So you, you have to understand how the application works in order to um, write the tests. I mean, it, you have to be you have to know where to click and what you should expect if, yeah. if you want to write tests that click and expect things, right? Right. Um, and, and then the second is it's one of those protection sort of things to make sure we don't introduce any regression as we're um, refactoring some of the code. Yeah, that, that's a good point because we're obviously not going to inherit a project and step one is do absolutely nothing until we've established 100% test coverage. Like that's, that's just not practical, but yeah, some basic kind of smoke tests, like, can you log in? Can you do these important things? And then when we're getting to an area, we are going to make some modifications, writing some tests around that sort of as you go. Yeah. I mean, a a kind of rule I like to say is like you said, log in and then whatever is the um, main features or the revenue generators, Mm-hmm. We, for that company, for that application, we want to do those things that we don't maybe need to necessarily write tests around right away. Things like reports, right? Sure. You know, yeah. uh, they're great. I mean, they're necessary, but you know, mm-hmm. write them when we get to them or whatever. Just, just the roller coaster of emotions I feel when when you first check out that repo, and you're like, <laughs> okay, there's a tests folder. Ooh, there's like a feature in a unit folder, and then you expand it, and there's one file in each called example. Example. Oh. You're like, no. No, we were so close. Oh. I thought we had something. Don't don't get me started on a rant of when you see a super popular package too, and you, that's the first thing I do is I go look at a mm. test folder and there's no tests. And I'm like, how how is a million people installing this <laughs> oh without boy. worrying? I've had that anyway. same thought. <laughs> All right, so so maybe just one last topic to touch on, mm-hmm. and I'll kind of put or like a hybrid topic here is is version control, like I. I'm assuming, and, and really, we've had pretty good success with the projects we inherit at least have version control. So that's kind of like most of them. Yeah. I mean, and if yeah. not, obviously, that's step one. It's like we have to have that. But it, like a CI pipeline or some sort of um, automation of, of a build or running tests or something, we like to have that. And we would certainly set that up in a new project. But um, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about how we approach that with a legacy project as well. Yeah. So when you say like a CI pipeline, mm-hmm. kind of like, what are you all including in there? And like, why does that matter? Okay. So like for me, the most important thing is some sort of reproducible automatic thing that verifies the project is not completely broken. And so mm-hmm. like kind of the easy thing you put in there is, is a linter, like that's trivial to set up. But then the next thing would be running tests. And so obviously that has less value if there are no tests, but you know we're mm-hmm. going to write some of those tests we talked about. But just getting that in place so that as we push code, you know, as we open a pull request, things like that, that it, at the very minimum, it's running those sorts of basic things automatically. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, to me, the where I've always struggled, and, and I think we've had conversations about this too, is is the you know CI CD so the deployment part of that yes, is it yeah. important is it important to have the deployment automated at the same time um, you know I think that there are reasons why and reasons why not mm-hmm. I would say the biggest reason is is not so much automated on a deploy but reprodu- reproducible yeah so I, I want my deployment reproducible and hopefully automated <laughs> well and and like that is usually one of the biggest question marks when you inherit a project is like, well, how do I get new code up there? Because people have all sorts of bizarre ways of doing this. You know, um, I'm thinking of one in particular where, you know, there was a Git repo on the production environment 
But there's all sorts of like hidden little things you had to do after you pulled in the latest code, you know, reset permissions or or run this mm -hmm. other file or restart this service. And so for this one in particular, we haven't yet automated the deploy, but it's in the readme, like the exact steps that I run every single time. And now, now that you have that and you kind of get some comfort, you've doing that, been doing that for a few weeks or even a couple months, then we can revisit like, okay, is now mm -hmm. the time to automate that? Because we're really confident we've kind of figured out all the weird edge cases about deploying. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. You know, so when we get these new projects, we want to make sure we understand how the project works, mm -hmm. generate some documentation or, or make sure, honestly, make sure the documentation is up to date. Um, yep. Sometimes there's documentation and it's like, well, that was how it functioned <laughs> two years ago. Right. Well, that's yeah. not helpful either. Mm -hmm. um, and then move through uh, understanding, having some, uh, you know, how it works, um, running it locally, um, running unit tests, and then some sort of automated, you know, CI tool and possibly, you know, automated deploy or whatever. And that's kind of how you take a project, at least how we take a project, you know, mm -hmm. over. Um, it's really exciting to, to get a new project and just want to like run and, and do some new changes or, you know, I'll, also, I guess, having that conversation with the client when they think that when you take it over, you should just be able to do the exact same thing as their last yeah. team was doing. Yeah. Day one, taking over the project, we're not going to fix that bug that's been in your backlog for three weeks. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, just to your point, having that conversation, in fact, sometimes we've established an initial kickoff phase of the project that's really just dedicated exclusively to onboarding the project. And we'll, we'll kind of time box it. We'll set a scope, we'll set a flat fee, but that even further communicates to the client, like, all right, we're, we're just getting our, our feet wet here. Uh, when this phase is done, then we're going to get into development. It doesn't mean we won't continue to onboard and improve the project, but at least that phase is over. And now the, the active development phase has a discrete start to it. So are you more of a tea person or a coffee person, Joel? Aaron, I'm drinking coffee right now. I like tea, but I would definitely, if I had to pick a camp, coffee person. You said it like, like I should just know that you're drinking coffee. Yeah, I, you have a <laughs> mug, but I don't know what's in there. I was going to say we're on a video call. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I want to be a tea person and I, I keep like collecting tea devices, you know, like different ways to make tea. Um, but maybe someone can let us know. Um, if there's an easier way to like clean out these devices too, because I have like this little ball that you put like tea leaves in. Yep. Loose and then tea, when yeah. you make your, yeah, you make your tea and then you're like, then you have like this compacted little ball of gunk. Mm -hmm. And, and it, like, to me, it's already been like half ruining my experience. I'm like, Oh, delicious tea. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to clean out this garbage puck. Do people even use bookmarks anymore? Or do they just type mastering Laravel.io right into the browser? I know the site is important to you, Aaron, because it's something we've been working on. But for others, please visit masteringlaravel.io to see what we've been building. <laughs> <laughs>